0: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. And a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs, and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable, ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Euphoric, the innovative Patented hemp oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. I'll be back after our first story to tell you a little more about Euphoric and a special offer they have for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs>
3: It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark.
2: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about dastardly doppelgangers, unusual escapades, and haunting hitchhikers. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, filling in for Steve Taylor. Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jesse Brown and Jason Hill. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Our first tale tonight, from author Fritz Bassus, is voiced by Jesse Brown. It concerns a man with an unusual predicament. His week consists only of six days. The remaining day, well, let's just say he's about to get a rude awakening. (laughs) Without further ado, I present to you, I don't experience Thursdays.
3: I've had this problem for as long as I can remember. In preschool I remember being confused when they told us there were seven days in a week because I could only ever count six. I've never told anyone this, not even my wife, so I've never really been able to ask. But I can gather from careful questions that the me they see on Thursdays acts the same way and says the same general things I would. If plans are made for Thursdays I show up and do exactly what I would do. I just don't ever remember it. Before you ask, yes, I've tried staying up all Wednesday night or waking up in the middle of the night. It never works. I wake up in my bed on Friday. I feel sorry for the Thursday me. He's never going to have a weekend. I worked it out and he only has Christmas once every seven years or so. That's not fair that I could have so much more life than him. One thing I do know as he doesn't like to keep a diary. If anyone ever goes through my journal, I wonder if they'll ever notice I've never made an entry for Thursday in all these years. If anyone ever goes through my journal, I wonder if they'll notice I've never made an entry for Thursday in all these years. I wish the Thursday me would write sometimes. If he did, I'd be able to figure out once and for all whether he's really a separate person, or if he's just an unconscious me. Or anything. Last week, I decided to give him a break. I took Thursday off. I went to bed on Wednesday, and I hoped Thursday me would make the most of it. Friday I woke up and got ready for work. There was a very strange smell in the kitchen. It was an oily, burnt smell. It made me feel like something was sticking to my skin. I sprayed some air freshener and took out the garbage without investigating it. Before I left, my wife came out of the bedroom in her pajamas and hugged me deeply. Hey, what's this about? I said. You don't normally wake up this early to say goodbye to me. I just wanted to thank you for the wonderful dinner you made last night, she said. What did you say that dish was called? It was incredible. Uh, I, uh, don't remember, honestly. I just flipped open my mom's cookbook to a random page. I'll have to look it up again this afternoon. She kissed me. Her breath smelled like the kitchen. Well, whatever it was, figure it out and make it again soon. I love you so much. Love you too, I said. At work, everyone was happy to see me. Richie, the guy who works next door to my cubicle, slapped me on the back. That was an amazing party last night, buddy. My supervisor Helen dropped by my desk. If you're going to throw a get-together like that every time, then you can take off as many days as you'd like. I can't believe how much I ate. There was a big greasy stain on her blouse. It looked like she'd been wearing a messy bib. As the day went on, more and more people thanked me and shook my hand and asked me where I'd learned to cook like that. There were people I never even talked to, like the janitors and the security guys. Toward the end of the day, a woman I'd never seen before spoke to me. I could see from her ID badge that she was a secretary from our other facility across town. She said... I've always thought I was an adventurous eater, but after last night, wow! I'd never eaten anything like that before. What did you say that dish was called?" She had a black glob stuck between her teeth. I said, I can't believe I don't remember. It was in my cookbook. I'll have to look it up and get back to you. Please do. By the end of the day, I hadn't got a bit of work done. So many people strangers had talked to me I was completely overwhelmed. As I drove home I almost expected a cop to pull me over and ask me what I had cooked last night. I had to figure out what it was. When I got home I went into the alley behind my house and opened up the garbage can. The smell was so powerful I started gagging. It was like nothing I'd ever smelled before. Greasy, burnt, and metallic. It made me sick. But at the same time it was appealing, almost addicting. As I sorted through the trash it seemed like I was breathing deeper, trying to get more. All of the scraps were covered in black globs like the secretary had between her teeth. The globs stuck to me as I wiped them off the long curved bones and fleshy sacks I pulled off the garbage bag. One of the things I pulled out looked like a tiny human hand, an inch across with two thumbs on one side. It was held together with fibrous connective tissue. I touched one frayed tendon dangling from its wrist and it clenched into a tight fist I couldn't open again. I picked up something that was unmistakably a skull, two inches across, with shades of grey fatty meat still clinging to its face. But its single eye socket was completely clean, like someone had sucked it dry with a long tongue. Its jaw was too narrow and locked open like it was screaming. I found a tentacle filled with bubbles of black liquid that, if I touched them, would burst and evaporate instantly. I found a strip of skin, bright red with grill marks on one side, and covered in grey hairs that were stretchy like rubber and needle sharp at the tip. I couldn't take it anymore. I vomited. I left the pile of refuse and the overturned garbage can in the alley and ran upstairs through the back door. I washed my hands in the bathroom because the smell was still in the kitchen. I came into the living room and my wife smiled at me. I could smell it on her. "'I'm starving, honey,' she said. "'I haven't eaten all day. "'I'm waiting to see what you make for us tonight.' I could only laugh unconceivingly in response." I went into the bedroom. My journal was open on the nightstand. Open to Thursday's entry. Thank you so much for this opportunity, old friend. I'll take more days next week.
0: You can live out your master chef dream.
4: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: I hope you enjoyed I Don't Experience Thursdays by Fritz Bassis as performed by Jesse Brown. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This time, it's a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights original, co-authored by series creator Craig Groshek and the amazingly talented Blair Daniels that will have you questioning the very nature of reality and re-evaluating the meaning of a close call. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Euphoric, the innovative, patented hemp oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. Now... I know most of you in our audience have heard a lot about CBD and health-related products lately. And of course, you've all tried your fair share of gum. Not to mention other health products in the market. With all sorts of benefits, whether it be to help reduce stress and anxiety, or to help improve your memory and energy. With all this in mind, I know you're probably asking, what makes Euphoric so special? Well, let me tell you. Euphoric... Hemp oil-infused chewing gum is not your average gum. In fact, it's an innovative, patented delivery system. As a chewing gum, Euphoric brings innovation to the CBD market in that its patented delivery system is time-released and all the action happens in the mouth. The gum's flavor and consistency make it possible to chew it longer. Chewing the hemp oil-infused gum longer increases absorption in the mouth. In fact... Euphoric hemp oil-infused chewing gum has the best absorption rate on the market, 84%. Compared to edibles like gummies and tinctures, uh, even capsules, Euphoric's absorption rate is about 50% greater. This is because edibles have to pass through the digestive tract, which breaks down the ingredients and drastically reduces their absorption rate. Euphoric, however keeps the hemp oil-infused gum in the mouth longer, completely bypassing the digestive system. Plus, chewing in and of itself makes sense with a superior product like Euphoric in that chewing has its own health and wellness benefits. The simple act of chewing has scientifically been shown to improve brain health, including memory and cognitive function, as well as reduce anxiety. Euphoric combines these powerful chewing benefits with the heavily researched benefits of full-spectrum hemp oil, which is rich in naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD. Full-spectrum hemp oil is superior in that it offers many naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD, that work together synergistically. This is called the entourage effect, essentially meaning that a team of phytocannabinoids work best together with anyone that's isolated. It's a party in your mouth, and that's why Euphoric is the best gum you'll ever chew. Not only is Euphoric legal in all 50 states, but it's gluten-free and non-GMO as well, and manufactured in a GMP-certified and FDA-registered facility. It's also rich in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids and supports dental health, by utilizing xylitol instead of unnecessary sugars. In fact, Euphoric was formulated by an international team of doctors and oral surgeons. Best of all, it tastes great and has a long-lasting mint flavor to rival any ordinary gum. My team and I got to try a complimentary pack of the gum these past few weeks and let me tell you, the taste is incredible and after just a few short hours, not even days, we were already feeling the euphoric difference. The gum's effects are not exaggerated. We could literally feel the stress of the day melting away after allowing the gum a bit of time to work its magic. And thanks to Euphoric, we were able to increase our productivity and enjoy a more relaxing day with fresher breath to boot. Oh, and for those of you concerned about hemp and CBD-related products and perhaps new to products containing these oils, The product does not produce a high, and is both discreet and convenient. It can be used anywhere, at any time, to assist you in being your very best. You only need to try Euphoric once, to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, a limited supply of free trials have just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, ChewThisGum.com, to claim your free trial today, while supplies last. Again, that website is ChewThisGum.com. ChewThisGum.com Thanks so much for your time and for giving Euphoric a try this month. You won't be sorry you did. Now that we've assisted you in relaxing with the help of our friends at Euphoric, allow me to issue you a challenge. Let's see how calm you can be in the face of another terrifying tale. From Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels, as brought to life by voice actor Jason Hill, I present to you the chilling tales for Dark Knight's original story, The Disappearance of Carl Ernst.
1: I need to confess to you... Oh, well, I'm not a priest, I'm just a... The old man's grip tightened. He stared at me with those hollow blue eyes. I need to confess, he repeated. I've done something horrible. What was I supposed to do? Walk away? Tell him I wouldn't listen? Well, that would be unkind, wouldn't it? I sat down next to him. Okay. Tell me, Sam. What is my name? he asked I looked at him blankly um but the other guy called you Abe he leaned in close the strong smell of cigarette smoke wafted over me and I tried not to gag oh my name isn't Abe he rasped okay he's senile I thought I broke eye contact and scanned the room none of the nurses seemed to be present The red exit sign glowed far off to the right, tempting me to leave. No, I have to stay. My eye snapped back to his. I spoke slowly and quietly. Well, what's your name then? Carl Ernst. Oh, that's a nice name. I took a Baker's life. My heart began to pound. Well, he's just senile, I told myself. Everyone gets a little crazy when they get older. Everyone. The old man suddenly whipped around and looked over his shoulder, almost as if he expected to see someone standing behind him. Then he turned back to me. Well, you don't believe me. I see it right in your face. Um, no, that's not true. Of course I believe you. I didn't want to argue with him. At his age, that could meet a heart attack. "'Oh, you don't. No one does, really. But I tell you, it's true. "'This man, Abe Baker, was only a child when I stole his life half a century ago. "'A seventeen-year-old with a penchant for beer, gambling, and wild women.' "'A few of the elderly women sitting on the sofa glared at us. "'I feel terrible about it, oh, I do.' "'I stole a young man's entire life. "'But the thing is, I don't really get a choice in the matter. "'Whose life I take? "'I'm usually transferred to someone within a mile or two, "'but other than that, it's quite random.' "'He grabbed his hands and cracked his knuckles, "'frantically, nervously. "'I looked at him, eyebrows raised. "'You murdered someone? "'But you had no choice in the matter. "'Not murder.' No. He shook his head. Then, in a hushed whisper, he said, I just took over his body. I didn't know what to do. When I signed up to distribute the Eucharist to the elderly in a nursing home, I never expected this kind of situation. They didn't train us for this. At all. You know, um, the church doesn't really believe in possession. I mean... We believe in demonic possession, but uh, you're not a demon, so... Uh, I'm not Catholic, he said flatly. I closed my mouth and took a sip of my coffee. It was cold. Even so, I really think you should confess all this to Father Henry. He can help you better than I can. He ignored me and continued, Fifty years ago, my soul jumped into a baker. And my previous body, belonging to a man named Arun, blinked out of existence. Poof! Just like that. Go ahead, take out your phone and Google Arun Khatri. Slowly I took out my phone and Googled the name. Several news articles popped up. Missing. Arun Khatri, 26. Arun Khatri, a young electrical engineer, disappeared Friday. Okay, he probably just remembered the name of some guy who went missing. But I couldn't shake the sudden wave of fear and curiosity that coursed through me. So Arun and Abe died? No, pay attention, their bodies disappeared and their souls were devoured. Oh, okay, sure, I said with obvious derision. This guy was absolutely nuts. Bonafide insane. Still, I decided to entertain the idea a bit longer. So, how long have you been at this for, Carl? Oh, about three hundred years, give or take a decade. Okay. I watched with jealousy as Katie, the other Eucharistic minister, grabbed five cookies from the snack station. I glanced at my watch. 3.06 p.m. You know, Abe, I mean, (laughs) Carl... It's been great talking to you, but I really need to get going. I have more to confess. Father Henry comes by here on Tuesdays. He'd love to talk to you about everything, but I need to... Carl grabbed my arm, hard. I may not be around by Tuesday. Around? What are you being transferred to? I'm dying, he whispered. And this time... I'm not going to jump to another person I've stolen too many lives Ruined so much Taken so much He cracked his knuckles again The soft pops filled the air I'm going to let it take me It? The shadow That's what I calls it anyway The thing that's been chasing me my entire life Every time it gets close, I jump into someone else's life. And then I'm safe. At least for a little while. I stared at him. Then I decided to persuade him with logic. So, why would the shadow choose you, though? What's special about you? Why isn't this happening to anyone else? Because I have a dark past, Sam. Oh boy, here we go. You know... This is really a discussion you should be having with Father Henry. He can absolve you of your sins and you can move on. I made a pact a long time ago for a woman, of course. It didn't work out anyway and now I'm cursed by this shadow. There's only one way out. To die, naturally. But I don't know when that will happen. I've tried to accelerate it by smoking and eating terrible foods, but... Oh, no, Carl, don't do that. Take care of yourself. You're saying that because you don't believe me. Well, please... help me, Sam. I'm begging you. I need escape from this thing. Why me? Because you're the only one who cared enough to listen to me. All these other people. He swept his hand across the room... They call me crazy and give up. No one has ever allowed me to finish telling a story. But you must have family or something, right? (laughs) Well, they don't care either. They're the ones that put me in this home, after all. His cold blue eyes turned sad. Please, Sam. God damn it, I'm begging you. Help me escape this once and for all. How? He didn't have a chance to reply. Suddenly, his expression turned dire. His eyes widened, flitting around the room. His mouth quivered. Oh, it's here. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. It's here. It's here to take me. He stood up and ran. Wait! I ran out after him. A few of the nurses followed behind me. He ran out onto the busy sidewalk, screaming and moaning, shoving people aside. Carl! I called. Wait up! He turned around, but he didn't look at me. Instead, he looked up towards the sky. Get away from me! He screamed. His legs trembled. His eyes widened. He took a step back and tripped. Thump. He fell onto the sidewalk. I ran over to him, tried to help him up, but he was too heavy. The people on the street were watching now watching and whispering I ignored them get it away from me Carl screamed it's coming for me it's coming the words died in his throat the weight disappeared from my arms where Carl had been lying just a moment ago there was now just a blank expanse of sidewalk then the screams began not the shrieks of terror you hear in movies or the howls of pain that ring out through hospital halls. No. They were cries of absolute bewilderment. Panic. Horror. I backed away, my heart pounding in my chest. He was telling the truth. The next day it was on every news channel, every radio station... A man by the name of Abe Baker disappeared into thin air. Watch the shocking clip and see for yourself. The newscaster cut to incredibly blurry, pixelated video of Carl running down the sidewalk. In this footage, we see he is running from an as-of-yet-unidentified Hispanic man wearing a dark jacket. As soon as the man grabs him, he disappears. I click the TV off. Ugh. The media. Figures... Most people thought the whole thing was an elaborate hoax or an illusion. And maybe it was. My wife and Father Henry certainly thought so. Oh, he was pranking you, my spouse said with a laugh. Lighten up a little. Father Henry dismissed Carl entirely. Yeah, I've talked to Abe, he said. That's a bit off his rocker. I tried to keep me distance, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he hired some people to pull a prank like that. I knew better. I knew the truth. The shadow had gotten him, some sort of demon or version of Satan. We believe in the existence of possession, right? Then why not disembodied demons following and preying on souls? It was on Tuesday, almost a week after the event that I got the phone call. Just a few minutes after 6am the phone rang through the darkness. I groaned and poked my head out of the blankets and grabbed my cell phone. Hello? I said sleepily. Sam? Sam? Is that you? A gruff voice came over the other line, broken by static. Who who is this? Carl. I'm sorry. (sighs) I couldn't do it. It was coming for me, and I panicked. I jumped to the next body. "'I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Where are you right now?' "'At the church. I think I jumped into a homeless man. "'Oh, I feel awful. Absolutely awful. "'Please, help me.' "'I glanced at the bed. My wife was sleeping peacefully, "'her chest rising and falling with each breath. "'I crept out the door.' Carl leaned against the side of the church, hands thrust in his pocket. His breath came out in thin curls of smoke. As soon as he saw me, his eyes lit up. Thanks for coming, Sam. I knew I could count on you. This isn't the best part of town, I said, glancing at the dark shadows lining the building. Let's go inside. I inserted the key into the lock and turned. The church was dark, only a bit of golden light came from the back room, casting scattered rays across the organ in the polished wood pews. Our footsteps echoed through the church, sounding as if an army were marching through. We sat at one of the first pews. The crucifix hung several feet above us, stiff and still. I don't know what to do. I can't escape it. Oh, I've been running for so long... He sat down on one of the pews with a sigh. Then he cracked his knuckles. Pop, pop, pop. I know. We're going to figure this out together. Father Henry comes in at seven and he'll know what to do. Oh, that's too late. He sucked in a deep breath. The shadow knows where I am. I can feel it. Right now, lingering outside the church. Carl turned to me. You can see it too. I don't see anything. You won't see it the way I do, as a shadow, because you didn't make the pact. But you see it in a different way. He turned to me. Tell me. Do you see anything off in here? Anything that just feels different? I glanced around. The confessional stood against the wall, shrouded in heavy shadows. The pews gleamed in the light, set together in perfect rows. The stained glass windows stretched high above us. Mosaics of blue, purple, and red. They depicted the seven sacraments. Baptism. Communion. Marriage. My eyes caught on the one depicting the last rites. The brightly colored glass glowed in the gray light of dawn. In the scene in the window, a man lay on a bed, his hands clasped in prayer, staring out into the church with eyes of deep crimson. His eyes used to be closed, I said. What? I pointed to the stained glass. The man, pictured in the stained glass, his his eyes were closed before. Now they're open. That's it. Carl smiled sadly at me. The shadow is not of this dimension, but its presence still leaves ripples in our reality. They come out as oddities, abnormalities, changes, like flipped coins landing on their sides. What do you see when you look at it? I asked. A shadow. An immense, rippling shadow hovering right outside the window. Click. The sound reverberated through the empty church. I whipped around. The front doors shook as if a strong wind blew against them. Probably just Father Henry, I said, more trying to convince myself than Carl. I checked my phone. 6.45 p.m. Thump. 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 A heavy thudding sound interrupted the stillness of the sanctuary emanating from right outside the door then with a crash the doors burst open a powerful gale rushed through the church outside the letters on the parish bulletin board were all scrambled into gibberish some weren't even letters at all just strange symbols oddities is that it? I whispered Carl turned around ignoring my question "'No, no, no,' he cried in panic. "'He jumped out of the pew, pulling at his hands. "'Oh, it's here.' "'I had no idea what to do, so I grabbed a Bible out of the pew and began to read. "'Oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. "'Oh, it's no use,' Carl cried. "'Don't bother, it doesn't matter anymore.' "'The walls of the church rippled and quaked. "'The wind gusted through the church.' Pamphlets fluttered to the floor. Carl took a step towards the door. I'm going to let it take me, he said. I've ruined too many lives. I won't take any more. For a split second, I saw the shadowy figure swooping towards him, its eyes burning like wildfire. Its smoky wings spanned the width of the church. And then, with a pop, both of them disappeared. I collapsed into the nearest pew, my forehead beaded with sweat. I'm sorry, I whispered. I am so sorry, Carl. I tried to help. The whispers became a fervent prayer. Oh, Father, what in heaven hallowed be thy thump. I looked up to see Father Henry walking into the church. Father Henry, oh, I'm so glad you're here. He walked right past me not even looking in my direction. Father Henry? Pop. 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 I looked down. He was cracking his knuckles. Wait. Are you... He turned around. Blue eyes met mine, cold as ice. You're a good man, Sam. I'm sorry I had to lie to you. Carl, who I jump into isn't totally random. I can only jump to the body of someone unrepentant and corrupted by sin. I guess you could say I'm a reaper of sorts, delivering the damned to the devil on a silver platter. Whether the time was up or not, he gave me a wry smile. Fortunately for me, Father Henry was not a God-fearing man. Far from it. In fact, if you knew the things he's done, you would lose your faith in an instant. Carl turned around and walked out into the breaking dawn. Before he turned a nearby corner and disappeared amidst the midday crowd, he cast one final glance over his shoulder and addressed me. You're a good man, Sam, he said. Be sure to keep it that way. "'Trust me when I say you don't want to end up where Abe, Arun, and all the others are. "'Father Henry may not be dead, not technically, but he's going to wish he was. "'Someday, my day will come as well. "'But not today. "'See you around, Sam.' "'And with that, Carl disappeared around the corner.' And I haven't seen him since. Or have I? It's impossible to tell. All I know is that there's a steep price to pay for a life of sin. And that our debts can be called in at any time. Without warning. When your time is up may not depend on destiny or the will of God after all. It might just depend on the desperation of a man. Running for his life.
2: I hope you enjoyed the chilling tales for Dark Knight's original story, The Disappearance of Carl Ernst, by Craig Groschik and Blair Daniels, as performed by Jason Hill. Up next, we've got another dose of darkness for you, courtesy of a tale from author Lucretia Vestea which explores several of the myriad reasons why you should never pick up a hitchhiker. As brought to life once more by voice actor Jason Hill, I present to you an amateur.
1: When it comes to my car, I have one rule and one rule only. No hitchhikers. My car is everybody's car. Really. If the good Samaritan had a car, I'd be in the Bible. I had friends and family do everything to that tin can on wheels, including popping tires, busting radios, opening windows on rainy days. But hey, it's just a car. It is my baby, Deep blue Range Rover I bought for myself with my self-earned money. At the end of the day, it's just a car, right? It's a useful thing to have when you want to go from point X to point Y. But there are numerous cars out there. People, on the other hand, come in one edition each. If something bad happens to my car, yes, I'd be pissed and I'd have to invest a lot of money into fixing it or buy a new one. But if something bad happens to a person I care about, that can't be fixed. Whether it's mental or physical damage, I don't care. If there are people in the mix, I'd much rather have my car minced to dust right before my eyes than put someone in harm's way. And this is exactly why I came up with this rule when people ask me if they can borrow my car. No hitchhikers. I don't care about how harmless they look, just drive away. There are some sick fucks out there, and the worst thing is, they're masters of disguise. Why take the risk in the first place, right? What happens to strangers is none of your business. You can make random acts of kindness on your way out of the supermarket by giving the local homeless person an apple or something. Why confine yourself in a two-square-meter box with a total stranger, when you could just give him or her some coins or food... For Pete's sake, give them money for a subway ticket if there really is a place they need to get to. This way, you are both safe, and you can get home with a clear conscience. Do whatever. Just, please. No hitchhikers. Not my beloved ones. Not in my car. It was late November... First snow of the year and it wasn't supposed to get dark until about 6.30pm but it was merely 5pm and the sky was getting more depressed by the minute. Winter is coming. I laughed at my wannabe John Snow impression and ceased laughing as soon as I remember that I used to watch Game of Thrones with my ex. That woman ruined so many shows for me. Julia dumped me half a year ago. She and I hadn't slept together in over seven months before our relationship ended, and I was not the one to blame here. I really gave it my all, got myself a premium membership at the gym and everything. And whenever I tried to wine and dine her, she just played the tired card, just to hide the fact that the other man she was seeing had already wined and dined her that day, along with other stuff I would have liked to do with her. I was thinking about my ex when I caught movement for a head. Just a figure in the distance imitating a half-working windmill to get a driver's attention. Any driver's attention. It was definitely not the first time I saw someone YMCAing me to pull over, but I never budged. No hitchhikers. People are monstrous creatures, and I am not taking risks. I never even look in their direction. I don't need to know what their faces look like. Why would I do that? To see their mugs later on the national news alongside a cringe-worthy title like Roadkill with Intent? No. Thank you. Not me. I have enough shit going on as it is. I. I looked. She was young. If not a teenager, in her early twenties or so, I thought. She had long, beautiful legs, and black skinny jeans outlining that perfectly. She was wearing sneakers, and by the looks of her, she had walked quite a bit that day. Her feet must be freezing, I thought. The jacket she had on was also made of denim, and I own two of those, so I know that they're way too thin for a snowy day. Funny enough, even though her outfit exclaimed chilly summer night from all angles, she had a fur cap and gloves on. I couldn't see her face, but her long, light brown hair was falling on her shoulders from underneath the cap beautifully, under gloves. Jesus, those gloves looked like oven mitts. Oven mitts, like, how can anybody resist a beautiful girl wearing oven mitts? <laughs> Before realizing that I was slowing the car down, her face was close enough for me to catch green eyes and a smile of relief. Was I about to pick up a hitchhiker? "'Scared for my life, I stepped on the gas like my life depended on it. "'Before she vanished from my rearview mirror, I caught the sight of something else. "'Thinking that I was going to give her a ride, she took off her backpack and bewildered let it fall to her feet. "'That was one big-ass backpack. It looked twice her size and just as heavy. "'I could still see her mouth was agape before her outline blended in with the rest of the view I was leaving behind.' You are such a paranoid idiot. Julie's words slammed against the inner side of my eardrums. It was her favorite thing to say. Yes, my dad likes you. Yes, I locked the door. No, I'm not cheating on you. Even though my paranoia regarding that last one was right of the money, I'm aware that I'm... overly aware... The road was deserted and it was damn cold outside. Frostbite would start chewing at that girl's toes long before a car would pull over and... Well, let's be honest here. The hitchhikers aren't the only ones who might be monsters in disguise. Lo and behold. Even paranoid people have a conscience. I'm no exception. The road was so empty I risked driving in reverse. I could see she stopped walking the second she saw me coming back. She took a couple of steps away from the car when I stopped next to her, lowering the passenger's side window. Need a ride? She frowned at me, her oven mitts on the straps of her backpack. Not sure. Come on, get inside, it's freezing out here. I don't mean the ride, I mean you. Yes, well, your palate of choice isn't exactly abundant now, is it? Her green eyes were piercing needles into my own. Why did you run off on me like that? Let's just say I'm not a fan of hitchhikers. She chuckled. (laughs) Well, that makes two of us. Where are you going? Chapville. Are you taking the highway or are you passing through Brightwood? You need to get to Brightwood? Yeah. Good. Then, that's the road I'm taking. Put your luggage in the back. I opened the trunk for her and heard a loud thud as she let her bag drop. She closed the trunk and hurried to the seat next to me. She shuddered violently as soon as she entered my car. Take your shoes off and bring your feet up to the heater. She gave me a wide-eyed stare. Um, isn't that illegal or something? I'm quite certain amputation bills are more expensive than police tickets. Put your seatbelt on. Should I turn the heat up? Yeah, please. Please. I drove off as she fastened her seatbelt and brought her blue and purple socks on the air vent. She sighed in contempt and relaxed into the seat. Thanks for changing your mind. Don't mention it. I don't look like a serial killer on second glance, do I? The good serial killers usually don't. She laughed. Touché. Please don't mind me asking, but what in the world are you doing out in weather like this in the middle of nowhere with a sack of bricks weighing you down? Living La Vida Loca. Good thing I came back for you, cause you'd be living La Muerta Loca about now. She laughed so hard I heard the seat shaking under her. Did somebody watch Spanish soap operas with mommy when they were little? Busted. I won't admit to anything. It was my aunt and there was just one TV in the house, alright? She laughed even harder. Not gonna lie, it felt damn good to hear a woman laugh at my jokes again. What's your name? My head shot in her direction so fast my neck was an inch away from snapping. She had taken the hat off and her beautiful face was resting on her knees, smiling at me. When it came to women, I was always the one asking for names. I asked Julie for hers when we first met, and the girlfriend before her, and the girlfriend before her. But I was never the one asked. Felix. I'm Mackenzie. Nice to meet you. Likewise. You going home from work? I sighed my answer. Yeah. That's the saddest yeah I've ever heard from a man who's gotten off work. Then I guess you only ask men whose days weren't as shitty as mine. Oh. What happened? I think I lost a deal today. Hmm. Crap. Even sales? Worse. Real estate. Very few people know this about me. I hate my job. But I love talking about it. My type of woman lets me complain about work. My ideal woman, however, asks questions. How is that worse? If you were to choose between a mean mother-in-law and a violent husband, who would you choose? The monster-in-law? That's sales... You have to confront the mother-in-law when she visits, and yes, the house needs to be spotless and you have to play perfect, but no matter how much crap she gives you, the visits always end and you get a chance to bitch about her to your girlfriends. The violent husband, on the other hand, is always there, and no matter how bad things get, unless you decide to finally leave this son of a bitch, not even your girlfriends will be of any help because it's not like you tell them anything, right? Have you ever been in sales? Busted again. Not exactly, but I have friends who are, and by the sound of it, things are going really good for them. Of course they are. If you're the one with a violent husband, but keep quiet about it, your friends will think you have an amazing marriage. Which is why they'll want you to think that they're doing amazing as well, so that they don't feel inferior to you. That's stupid. They're my friends, why would they do that? Well, they're in sales, it's all about the competition. Have you ever been in sales? Yes, I have. I turned my head her way. It didn't last long, though. Three months or so. I got fired for not reaching my target. Bummer. Not exactly. I was relieved, actually. I hated it. I just needed the money. Yeah. Don't we all? Well, if you hate it so much, why don't you just quit and do something you really like? What's a great idea. You know what? I'll brush the dust off my guitar tonight and quit my job first thing in the morning. "'Awesome, go for it!' I laughed at her promptness. When I looked at her and saw earnest excitement on her face, I couldn't help but remember how it was like to be her age and dream big. "'Can't do that, kiddo. Rent doesn't pay itself, you know. "'Besides, this is the real world we live in. "'You can be the best there is, but unless a good producer spots you, you're doomed. "'Then you'll just have to place yourself in the eyesight of a good producer. (laughs) Well, easier said than done.' Besides, looks matter way more than talent nowadays. Which is exactly why you should go for it. My neck started to hurt from the times I twisted it to look back at her. She was dead serious. I hadn't been so intrigued by someone in ages. You're mocking me. Why would you think that? Don't you own a mirror? You got three in this car alone. Four if you count the sun visor. You could put them to good use. She winked at me. Ah, so you are a serial killer. She laughed again. Either that or I'm just somebody who listens to her heart and advises others to do the same. Fine. You win. I'm curious. What's your story? She put her feet down. I don't have one yet, but I'm getting there. I'd rather hear what yours is. You seem like a smart girl, and I'm sure you've already painted a picture... Oh, come on, play along. Not wanting to risk a stiff neck the next day, I looked at her from the corner of my eye. She looked like an alert kitten, who was witnessing a can of her favorite food being opened right in front of her. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I did mind. Just looking at her made me feel old. Twenty-nine. Pfft, <sighs> twenty-nine. You talk like you're fifty. Fifty. Do you have kids with a woman you hate? Um, no. Then you shouldn't be this lifeless. Let me know if you'll be any different by the time you reach 29. That's actually not too far ahead of me. You're kidding. How old are you? 26. Really? I would have said you're 20. 22, tops. When I was 22, somebody said I looked like I'm 27. Get out. I shit you not but back then I did look like I was aging a year a day. How's that? Med school? I whistled. Dr. McKenzie? Sorry to disappoint. I dropped out after three semesters. Why? What happened? No, wait. Let me guess. Amused expectation had her raise her eyebrows a little bit. I knew her for less than 15 minutes and could tell by the richness of her facial expression that she had a thing for performing arts. Theater? Mackenzie gasped and applauded my answer. Very good. I haven't been to the theater in ages. Which do you work in? I'd like to see you perform sometime. I'm still in acting school, but I plan on auditioning for Kristofsky's Faustus in January. As Margaret? She paused for a couple of seconds. "'taking in the fact that I was decently cultured. "'Either her or Mephisto. (laughs) "'You're kidding. "'You as Mephisto? "'What? "'You think I couldn't pull it off?' "'She gave me a somehow seductive smirk. "'Yep. "'I was right about you. "'What do you mean? "'You really are a serial killer.' "'She laughed again, and I couldn't help but notice "'that we were halfway to Brightwood. "'Why are you slowing down?' "'I looked at the speedometer.' She was right. I was slowing down. Oh, I, um... I uh, don't have my winter tires on. The weather is ruthless and I know some violent turns are coming up, so I don't want to... Liar! I looked at her. And this time, really looked at her. She was stunningly beautiful. Really, and I don't mean that cover girl makeup commercial beauty. I mean that fierce beauty. The one that's witty and clever, and likes to snap at the most trivial things, just to get into a fight to make the sex better. You're slowing down again because you want to make this ride last longer. Busted. Again. Can you blame me? I never picked up a hitchhiker before. My rides are never this interesting. I'm not complaining. I had goosebumps run up and down my arms... Last time I felt like this was when Julie finally decided to come in for wine after we had dinner at a fancy restaurant. It was our fifth date or so, and she was a little drunk. We didn't have sex because she fell asleep as soon as her head hit the pillow. We had sex the following morning, but how can I put this nicely? I was never a morning person. I think you're really cool, Felix. I really appreciate you giving me a lift oh don't mention it Mackenzie I'm happy I came back for you her hand crept on my knee her face was composed not throwing me glances to witness my reaction or anything it was composed as if she had done this to me numerous times before she looked as if we were having dinner with two of her girlfriends and her hand on my knee was her claiming ownership of me in front of everybody I liked her hand there I didn't want it retrieved Can I ask you something? Her answer was as silent as the turn of her head towards me. Why are you carrying that bag of bricks and weather like this? She moved her hand from my leg. I didn't know it was going to get this cold. I was planning on walking home. Where were you? Her head snapped so suddenly in my direction I heard her hair whip against the headrest. That is none of your business. She was right. You're right, it isn't. Mackenzie sighed and I drove for a couple of minutes in silence. I wanted to apologize so that I could get her to talk again, but I didn't know what I had to apologize for. Was I too intrusive? Well, so was she. Why would I have to apologize for a feature we both had? Have you ever been cheated on? Her voice sounded like the welcome bell of a candy shop big angry snowflakes were trying to get through to us but the windshield was ruthless I loosened the pressure on the acceleration pedal Julie popped into my head even though we had so many good memories together I always went back to her wearing that horrible mustard colored sweatshirt the one she wore when she dumped me for her trainer yeah how did it make you feel that's a stupid question Thirty seconds passed before I managed to get out of my head. I'm sorry. That was rude of me. Don't be. You're right. It was a stupid question. This time, whether I liked it or not, I had to slow down because the fog in front of me was turning from water to milk. I wanted to rip her head off. My hand was squeezing the gear shift so tightly I thought it would crack. I was angry with Julie. I was angry with her lover. But most of all, I was angry with myself. I was angry with everyone. I heard a crescendo sigh coming from my right. Mackenzie's beautiful face from the side was outlined by a wet trail cutting from her cheek to her chin. Me too. She looked at me, and the world stopped. I, too, wanted to rip his head off. We drove in silence the rest of the way. As we saw the shield welcoming us to Brightwood, my traveling companion asked me to pull over and just leave her anywhere. I wanted to drive her home. I insisted. First road to the right, then left, then the second building on the right, and I stopped the car. I knew picking up strangers is not for me. Look what happens. First time I do this and I made you cry. She laughed. It's a good cry. And I can't afford a therapist, so... Her pretty face met mine with the most genuine smile she had given me yet. Thank you. I nodded. She reached for the handle. How did you deal with it? There was no need for her to ask what I was talking about. She knew well you know what they say about urges I was all ears I can't say I'm a big fan of Nike but they do have this one slogan that is really inspiring just do it mhm she reached for the handle again but I just had to press further and did you Her smile was a sad one, but there was a very strong hint of satisfaction within it. My name isn't really Mackenzie. I wasn't supposed to go on this trip I just returned from. Nobody saw you, but in case anybody asks, you've never seen me in your life. Right? I froze. She was waiting for a better reaction, so I nodded and I muttered, I see. Just so you know, I memorized your license plate number. Please don't do anything I wouldn't want you to. One closer look, her eyes were too green. No eyes were ever that green. Wasn't planning on it, I told her. My heart was pounding in my throat. Thank you for the ride. Really, don't mention it. She got out of my car and as soon as she entered her building, the wig and the contacts came off before the gatekeeper got a chance to spot her. Lucky for me, my head was still clear enough for me to remember that I had to make another stop before going home. I went directly to the deep forest river on the opposite side of town. I popped the trunk open and, as expected, Mackenzie, or whatever her name was, was a terrible amateur... Her backpack was bleeding from all angles. Fuck it. I was planning on washing the car anyway. I put on the oven mitt she had left behind and dragged the bloody mess to the brim of the precipice where I let it roll down into the river. Good thing the water didn't freeze. As a matter of fact, its surface was quite clear. I could still make out the margins of my own backpack, the one I dropped in there six months prior... I guess I could have told Mackenzie that Felix isn't my real name either. She and I have so much in common. Now that I know where she lives, I'll make sure to meet her again. If I had known that picking up hitchhikers would be so entertaining... Well, I would have started doing it years ago. I hope you enjoyed
2: An Amateur by author Lucretia Vestea, as performed by Jason Hill. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Euphoric, for their support of this show. Don't forget, a limited supply of free trials of Euphoric have just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, chewthisgum.com, to claim your free trial today while supplies last. Again, that website is ChewThisGum.com ChewThisGum.com Like I said earlier, you only need to try euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. And you won't be sorry you did. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and it has been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jai. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groschen. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jairi's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand-new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, Subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs-up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. Don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
4: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.